As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. This podcast is brought to you by Direct TV Stream. Get your TV together with the best of live and on demand. Learn more at directtv.com. Moral victories are back, Drancher, through two games oh, no. in Florida. The Canucks have looked good, but they've come away with zero points. We were having this discussion a few months ago. It was moral victories and bad special teams. Guess what? This team that was unbeaten. They were unbeaten. They had turned the corner. Everything was great. They, we are we're slowly trickling back. I, I love the um, focus on special teams because you're right. Like that, you know, Canucks play well five on five. Don't surrender too much. Uh, get beaten on special teams because their goaltending wasn't quite superhuman on the evening. That does feel like a familiar recipe for this team, doesn't it? Well, it does. And at the end of the day, you give up 21 shots on goal against a team as good as Tampa. You probably feel pretty good about your chances. And, and on form, which we said a lot earlier this season, mm -hmm. on form, the Canucks probably deserved better. Uh, at five on five and special teams didn't dominate the game right I mean it's not you know when the Canucks were bad on the PK there was a time when you know they were bad on the PK and also taking way too many penalties um, you know which which was a bad combination because two of seven was it was you know that was going to cost you the game and now even one of four cost you the game so and now I think their bigger concern because they've given up a power play goal in both of these Florida games but they're just not generating on the power play. 0 for 7 on the trip. Just one shot on goal and four attempts last night. So it's more the other side that seems to be the bigger concern. And Bruce Boudreaux, even early in his career, you know, he even talked about it after the game, you know, basically saying, I don't know why I played those guys as many, as many minutes as I did on the power play when they were not going to generate anything. He was mad. He was. He was ready to blow. He was, he was, he was upset post-game, especially with the power play. But I think in general with the performance of his top players, right? And, yeah, I thought he was really frustrated. I thought he sounded really frustrated. Um, the power play criticism, the self-criticism, uh, noting that it wasn't direct enough, that we were too cute, um, you know, that was extremely pointed. And, and look, uh, why wouldn't he be pointed, considering what the fourth line has done since he called out the depth scoring, right? Yeah. Hey, no Lamico Mott, um, high more. Like we need more depth scoring. Mots just like pulling out trick shots between like, the late what finishes. Was that that was incredible. That was amazing. Uh, so you know, I mean, why wouldn't you? Bruce Boudreaux should call everybody out. You know, like Bruce Boudreaux should come to your place of work and like call out your whole team, and everyone's gonna come back the next day. And <laughs> you know, like we're guys, we need these reports done. Everyone's got eight reports done the next day. I mean, that's what the fourth line has done. Um, no question. We'll see if uh, we'll see if the Boudreaux bump applies too to the Canucks power play. I suppose over the weekend. Well, and, you know, and that's the thing is that the, is the Travis Green always took a very different approach to it, right? He was very patient. He wasn't willing to call anybody out. 
Um, you know, like he'd acknowledge when things weren't going well, but he was much more muted in his approach, whereas maybe this is what these guys need. Maybe they need calling out. And look, it's it's tough because the best players have been good under Boudreaux prior to this last break and these two games in Florida. Now, yes, the schedule is favorable for those guys to have more success than, than it is now, right? Where you A, came in a bit cold, and B, come in against two elite teams with, with solid goaltending, right? As opposed to playing a backup and, and all the things that you got well, criticized Tampa for pointing out. goaltending. <laughs> yeah, with well, Tampa, you're right. <laughs> Sorry, you're I'm right. just being a jerk. No, you're, um, you're right. You're, you're, <laughs> but, you know, like all the stuff that you got criticized for before, right? Yeah. Talking about the context around some of these games that they're having success with it. Yes, we're willing to give full credit They're, you know, in terms of five on five performance and everything like that. Yeah, they're playing better. They are playing better, but you're getting teams on the second and a back to backs. You're getting backup goaltending. You're getting all of these things and everyone, oh, Dredger's being negative. Um, and now we're seeing it, right? That the goaltender is playing good, not ridiculous. Right. And uh, I appreciate this, but I was going to wait until after the weekend to take my victory lap. <laughs> well, like, look, they're, I'm you're, just kidding. They're going to need a, gonna need a few kidding. more games. They're going to need a few more games before we say it's all that, I think. Right. Yeah. Because 100%. these two teams are better than they are. And guess what? They're better than 90 percent of the National Hockey League. Yeah. Right. Yeah, so they, they definitely you, are. Well, so you've got Florida to you got to put this week back into context as well. Right. That. Yeah. OK. Now they're they're at the absolute opposite end of the extreme than what they were dealing with before. And at some point, it, it's all going to kind of level out. But um, I really thought I really thought Tampa looked slow last night. Yeah, but, uh, you know, you like that's one way of looking at it. But you could also say the Canucks dictated the pace of play. I, I think they did through the neutral zone. But I think when Tampa had had like, I think Tampa just had so many more chances. And the moment the Canucks opened it up to try and get back in, the lightning yeah, then just started two, getting, yeah, they kind of got on sloppy city. and it was two on one city and two on O city and breakaway city. And all of a sudden Demko was making spectacular saves that sort of made the scoreline and the performance overall look a lot more flattering than, than it was really right. Like the Canucks. There were still only 21 shots though. I know, but, but I mean, when those, when four or five of them in the third period are either breakaways, two on ones or two on O's. Like, you know, that's one where the shot clock doesn't quite capture it for me. You know, what, I don't think the Florida shot clock quite captured it either, right? Like, the Canucks were outchanced in both of those games. Yeah, but uh, it Especially considering were... that they led the or they trailed the entire time in both contests. Um, you know, like, the, the we, Lightning we, got the shots they needed. Yeah, no, but I mean, we look, we did the pod after the game on Wednesday and, you know, we, we both conceded like, you know, this team didn't get run out of the rink. There were there were small bursts that Florida had and that was all they needed. Right. Like goals totally. one and two and goals three and four came like within seconds of each other. And yep. And in between and beforehand, like the Canucks were in good shape. And then all of a sudden, bam, bam, you're down two, Right. Hmm. So it's. Um, yeah. yeah and, like and I, against the against the lightning, like. One thing to watch for a little bit, like that late goal, the Sorelli goal. Um, goals in the last minute, I always sort of narrowly think about in my head as being part, partly a reflection of fitness. Like the fittest team score a lot late. The tired team, if you, if you see a team playing the second leg of a back-to-back, they often get scored on late in a period. Like the the last couple minutes of a period, I always think is kind of like a zone where if you do damage, it's often because you're either fitter or fresher than your opponent. And so I'm not shocked that a team that's had the type of layoff that the Canucks had gave up that goal late in the first, right? Like that that to me was like a, like a not quite in rhythm special. And it was just sort of deflected out front. I, I think... A, Sorelli's stick hit one of the Canucks defender sticks. It, it It's raised, but not fully like, you know, I saw people being like Demko in rhythm gets that. It's like, that's about as hard to save as you're going to find right from the wickets, a lifted backhand shot, you know, that with the stick hitting a stick and completely disguising the angle. That's a tough, tough save. Um, I just felt like Tampa had everything they needed. You know, I, I just felt like they had everything they needed. I felt like they had to work. They had to play their top guys a lot, but they they got what they needed. They got more than they needed. 
And I saw some, you know, commentary on Demko's goaltending. And like, yeah, he was human. He was like a really good puck stopping human as opposed to God's goaltending representative on earth. Yeah, there was no soft goals. No. Like, no. In either of these two games, it's not been about the soft goals. It's just been about a few goals that, you know, if you would ask Demko post game, he probably would have said, I would have liked to have had that. For not sure. That, you know what I mean? Just because he sets that standard and generally he has that. And he probably had that at other stages in the game when they were giving up two on O's regularly. But so, so that's the challenge, right? Is that we look at some of the goals and say, and, and again, there weren't that many, but you'll look at a couple and go, yeah, it was okay, right? As opposed to, it certainly was not a soft goal, but which we've just gotten so numb to that being a routine save for Demko. Yeah, you know, I think I think I want to rewind a little bit and just talk about these two games and like what they mean in the bigger picture, right? And I think what everyone is really struggling with in this marketplace, myself included, by the way, Farhan, is how to see this team clearly, like just the really basic answer. And I think this is why the discourse around the team is so heightened is I think this team's really tough to see clearly, right? Because it's like they've now played almost 40 games. They're getting close to having played 40 games. The first 25 games, right, were, you know, this sort of run of games where they occasionally looked completely listless, right? Low effort, uh, especially in some of the road games. Historically bad penalty kill, right? A power play that was below average and a five on five defensive game that worked but was also propped up by elite goaltending and a five on five offensive game that was completely punchless, but also looked worse than it was because of a run of bad bounces. And then they change coaches and everyone gets a fresh start. And I think everyone needed it so badly in terms of the vibes in that locker room. And the team goes on to win, you know, uh, eight of 10, I mean, eight of 11, but really it's eight of nine right off the bat. Like, boom, they win eight of um, eight of nine with the loss coming in overtime. And I don't think they were like consistently lights out performances, right? Uh, there were a few games in there, the Boston game, the Columbus for first period, the LA game for sure, where they didn't play well. But the goaltending was historic, superhuman, and the club amped up their aggression under the new coaching staff. Even though their offensive luck didn't necessarily change, their special teams were all of a sudden clicking. Uh, the power, The penalty kill wasn't historically bad anymore. And I think there was this hope in the market that maybe this was a new team, right? Maybe this is the real Canucks. But of course, you're never going to win at that rate forever uh, in this league, no matter how good you are. And now we see this team going into harsher circumstances and they've lost two. And now some people are like, well, that's that's what they are. That's what they are. It's, you know, that felt awfully familiar. Those were that's the Travis Green Canucks right there. That's it. And for me, I'm not really prepared to say that either. Like, I want to see the Bruce Boudreau sample expand a little bit and see how they do over this next seven, because this next seven is still a murderer's row. It's not quite as brutal as this road trip itself now that the Florida leg of it's behind them. But, you know, this weekend, back to back, Carolina, Washington, brutal. Nashville, really tough. St. Louis, Florida, Edmonton, Winnipeg, like that next seven. That to me is almost, first of all, it's almost the season, but also by the time they're done that, by the time they're done that swing, we're going to be able to look at, you know, 18 games. This team will have played 18 games. So that Now all of a sudden we're going to be close in terms of how many games they played under Green, how many games they played under Boudreaux, and can sort of get to the answer of like, is this team fundamentally altered because of the coaching change? And, you know, I suspect it's not. That's sort of why I kept being cautious during that road, uh, during that winning streak was because the back to back teams, the teams on back to backs, the run of backup goalies, uh, the narrow wins, like all of it looked to me to be a possible mirage as opposed to something that I really could buy into as as something that like, you know, I want to lend my voice to the market and say, hey, look, like, yes, this this something has changed with this team. And I would love to do that if I believed it. I just, I hadn't been convinced yet. And we'll see. I'm not convinced either that it was, you know, purely a balloon that's now popped because they lost to two elite teams. Like we need to, we need to see where this goes a little bit. Um, but I typically 
am skeptical that, you know, that this team has materially changed their circumstances to the point where they're going to be capable of making up the ground that they have to make up to make the playoffs. They're just so far behind the eight ball. And for all that they, you know, went on that nice run, like they've never elevated above seventh in the Pacific. Right, like, no, but they, they did get to within four points, and even after a lot of the games had been made up, but four hand, points but, with how many teams between them? They never got out of, they never got out of being like the fifth or sixth wild card bid team, right? Like sure, they, they, but they were they did so get far to a behind. Point of, they did get to a point of four points with like one game in hand on the nearest on the on the team that was four points ahead of them. Well, um, but 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 that team was Edmonton. But let, but let me let who me stop playing. No, me I mean they didn't really get. They didn't really materially. They got to like a 13% playoff odds, you know, like four points sounds good, but teams, there were like f- five teams ahead of them and a team behind them with four games in hand at all points. How would we feel about this team? Because, you, you know, you are right in terms of the games they've got coming up for January. The schedule is not ridiculous in terms of game spacing, but in terms of who they're playing, like it's going to be tough. Really right? challenging. And, yeah. and the games are going to be critical even at the end of the month when they've got, you know, uh, Edmonton, Winnipeg, Calgary, because two of those teams are going to be right around where they're at. Um, Maybe all three. But here's the thing. How different would we be discussing this team if those Islanders and Ottawa games had been played? And and we didn't talk about this in the Wednesday pod. Yeah. But I was critical of ownership because let's be clear, it was the Canucks' decision to not play those games, right? So there was some discussion uh, from the provincial health authorities about scaling back the number off of 50% or whether it was you know, going to be made mandatory or no food and beverage and all of that stuff. And that's, listen, I don't believe this is a charity, right? So for people who say, well, if he was a really good owner, it wouldn't be about money, it would be about the team. That's bullshit, right? Like owners, it's a business, you need to make money. However, there are a couple different ways to approach making said money. And to me, one of those is put your team in the best position to get into the playoffs because then you could make real money. Right, and at that point, we might be back to 100% capacity because it's going to be a while before we get to 100% capacity here, right? So, if they would have just played those two games, two things happen. One, we're not talking about a team coming off a, a a layoff, like a second consecutive layoff, right? Where any momentum they had going into these games that are ridiculously tough is gone, right? whereas Florida and Tampa had been playing regularly and Florida had been rolling going into that first game. So, A, those first two games would have been really, really winnable games against the Islanders in Ottawa at home, right? So you'd be in a different place in the standings. B, you'd be in better position that maybe you would have won one of these two games. And C, after this January murders row is done, you're going to be that much more compressed in February during the Olympic break, and you're making it that much harder on yourself. So if they would have played those two games and got three or four points in those two games, and as a result of not being cold, maybe gotten at least one of these last four points, if not two, you know, you and, and then be in a better position in February, you feel differently about this team. And, and again, this is not to suggest the owners shouldn't prioritize finances, because they should. It's their money, not ours. But you could, you're, you're in a better position to recoup that money later if you do the right things now, in my opinion. Well, I, I do think having those tune-up games would have helped us see this team clearly, for sure, right? Would have helped. But you don't think they would have won those games? Or, you know, like, they would have beaten Ottawa. They'd probably steal a point, or not steal, but get a point out of New York. Like, they, they would have had three or four points in those games. Um, and they would have been I better mean, off I going mean, into the Florida game. <clears throat> I mean, probably. And, and again, better set up in February. For not yep. having a ridiculous schedule at that point, you take two games out of that mix. And well, can- I think the Islanders was a little more complicated because their entire West Coast swing was canceled. I think uh, the fair, Islanders yeah. were more canceled because of uh, concerns with cross-border travel from a league level. I think the Sens game was a pure Canucks decision. Uh, okay. So, so I think they, I think they could have had one tune-up, and you know, I do think it would have helped, but I don't think it was a gimme win. Like, I know the Canucks embarrassed the Senators on Ottawa ice really at the start of this run. I, I guess Travis Green's last win with the team. But, you know, I don't think it was as straightforward as... Well, not, again, it's not necessarily a gimme, but it affects three different variables, right? You're, it wasn't a gimme, but your odds are good. Number two, you're set up better for the trip. 
And number three, you're you're a little bit less compressed in February. It all yeah, matters. No, I know. I agree with I agree with all of that for sure. Um, it would have been nice to have that game. It would have been nice to have that game. And I do think they've I do think they're in a really tough stretch. I mean, you you look at this next seven. Um, you know, I, I think <laughs> it's gonna be really tough. Like I, you know, I saw Carolina obviously got absolutely demolished, shit kicked, as it were, by the Columbus Blue Jackets. You never like to see that. <laughs> you know, you never like to see that if you're playing that team a couple days later, right? Because now, now they need to win it. You know, now now it's a totally different vibe for that Carolina Hurricanes team. Yes, they'll be without Jacob Slavin, but you know, teams like that don't like to lose two in a row. You're gonna get their fastball now, a hundred percent, no question about it. And then you go to Washington on a back to back, and that's a schedule loss as it is. And the Capitals are dece. <laughs> They're pretty good. Um, it's gonna be a, it's it's gonna be a really interesting weekend. The Canucks kind of need to have one of them, right? Like now, oh for you sure, really you don't want to go into Nash Vegas. Yeah, you don't want to go. Can't go you, for. you don't want to go to Tootsie's having lost four in a row. So, hey. uh, you know, it's going to be it's going to be a tough slog for the Canucks this weekend, but they do need to find a way to grind out two against one of those teams. And Saturday is even more important because Sunday no one's going to watch because of NFL playoffs. Uh, meanwhile, uh, so, get- sorry, sorry, because of Eagles Bucks. Come on. Listen, you know, you know, that's the game that's easiest to miss. It is. We'll uh, we'll talk about that when we come back and you're going to get Carolina's fastball. But hey, we always get Drancer's fastball more on uh, the guys on the ice when the Van Kest returns. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. So, Drancer, lots to talk about, um, you know, big picture on the road trip. And we've hit on a lot of it, but let's let's kind of get into some of the guys here. And we've spent a lot of time talking about Elias Pettersson. Interesting dynamics around him because he gets moved to left wing, uh, yeah. playing with Bo Horvat. And Bruce Boudreaux said after the game, look, I, I wanted to have my best six forwards together when it was, you know, clearly earlier a case of having a top nine and spreading it all out a bit more. Now we wanted to compress the top six a bit, and they wanted to get him on a line with Bo Horvat. And on form, that line with Garland did a lot of good things, right? I mean, they dominated possession, and they had more scoring chances and and all of that. But at the end of the day, it wasn't really a lot of production as a result. Um, he's at the net front on the power play. You know, it, it's not getting any better, my friend. <laughs> what do you mean? I thought he played great. Do you really? I do, yeah. I thought that I line he had was seven fantastic. Shots, I know one was on goal, but wow, like it offensively from a goal scoring standpoint, it it doesn't seem like he's close to breaking out still. And again, oh, really? Right. I thought I thought he looked good. I thought he looked dangerous throughout the evening. I thought that line was excellent. I think Garland and Horvat have played a lot together, and it hasn't felt like a single thought. It's felt like it sort of felt like their styles don't mesh that well most of the mm-hmm. time. I felt, I felt like with Pedersen on that line, it worked. It blended well. It was like a good smoothie as opposed to like having little crunches of almonds in it, which is what Carland and Horvat playing together has often been for me anyway, observing it. Yeah. Um, I liked I liked that line a lot. I think you got to stick with it. Um, I'm curious to see what they do in the sample expands. And I think, you know, the discourse around Pedersen like really took a U-turn to Silly Town last night. You know, he hasn't played well enough. Don't like don't get me wrong here. Like he's played badly. Um, it's baffling. And and I also think people are ignoring the fact that really since the coaching change, it's actually gotten worse. Like he was kind of looked like he was trending in the right direction a little bit in that late November, early December stretch. And then coaching change, he's actually been one of the worst Canucks by the underlying metrics since 
the coaching change occurred. Um, you know, he hasn't been like Besser getting the bounce. But I thought last night was a really good game for him. I thought that line looked really dangerous. I thought they generated a ton, but he has the one miss off of the one-timer, right? He, he, he sort of, it hits the heel of his stick. And I guess he had that one pass that Victor Hedman picked off as if Victor Hedman wasn't neutering just about every Canucks possession that happened with him <laughs> on the ice. And, you know, people are talking about him going to the AHL and, <laughs> you know, being scared out there I've, and all I've this stuff. I've missed the AHL ver- uh, narrative, thankfully. Yeah, no, I mean... I, should he go down to get some games? Like, would he have to clear waivers? Yes. <laughs> That's not a real option, guys. Um, and then, and then, yeah, I mean, truly, the, the conversation has gone to silly town with, with Elias Pettersson. Um, we are at a point, though, where, you know, Elias Pettersson's now, like, well below 0.5 points per game after being a superstar player. And I sort of looked through. I was trying to find comps. For a player who was as good as Pedersen was in his first three seasons. First two seasons. No, I stop it. 21 points in 26 games with really stellar underlying numbers and um and eleven posts hit in 26 games. Like, come on. We're not we're not if if Elias Pedersen was at the level that he was last season this year, we'd be talking about a guy who has 28 points. 28, 30 points. Like, come on, stop it. Stop yeah, I, I, I think, that was, come on, last 10, 11 games um, masked what was not a great first couple of months of the season. No, it was like a bad eight games in January that colored our perception of his start. But he was fine last season, completely fine before the injury. And then he gets hurt. And then, you know, this season completely fall, fallen off. But um, but he was still 0.8 points per game like that. He's still he was still at a 60, you know, on pace for like 62 points over an 82 game season. Now he's on point pace for less than 40. Like the there's a drop off there that needs to be taken account uh taken into account. This is not a continuation of what we saw before the injury. Right? Yeah, look, what you at what least I accept well, that. Come on. Well, this is worse. There's no question this is worse, but I do think there was a drop off in year 3 from years 1 and 2. And you're not going to convince me otherwise. Yeah, but like, it was 26 for, for, games. Like it was 26 for, games for sure. And and that that's part of it. And you know, and there was a team drop off and all of that. But yeah, I didn't see the same player in year no. three that I saw in year one and two. I I agree with that. Actually, I agree with that. But I don't think it's fair to say that this is a continuation of that. This is a different. No, it, it's it's worse. You're right. I'll, I'll give you that. And so, you know, but I, I was I was trying to like I went through and I was looking at players from the last you know 35 years basically that were like absolute stud level producers in their first three or four seasons and if any of them fell off like this and i couldn't really find any to be totally honest with you like there are no comparables frankly in in nhl history for for what we're seeing here because if you are producing the way pedersen hmm not even one not give really. Us, like, I'll, 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 get to, I'll get to a couple. I'll get to a couple that are sort of like close, but not not quite. But the fact of the matter is, is that if you're doing what Pedersen has done out of the gates of your career, you're a really good player. Like I was looking at guys between 0.95 and 0.75 points per game. Right. And and, you know, there's like 10 guys who performed over that 0.95 points per game. Your OVs, your McDavid's, your. Um, guys at that level who I didn't consider, right? Like, whatever. Those guys are in a Crosby. <laughs> you know, like, I don't need to consider uh, Panarin. I don't need to consider who was, like, 24 at the time. I don't need to consider those guys. So it was sort of more of a narrow range. And it's like, there's only 37 players that produced at that level to begin their careers. And they're all studs, man. They're all great players. Like, there's no guys who fizzled out in that group. Because if you do what Pedersen did in his first three years... You tend to keep doing it like you tend to be really, really good. You have to be really, really good to do what Pedersen did. Like the worst player on the list is Steve Ruchin, right? Who's sort of like the guy who cleaned up uh, any messes that Paul Korea and Timu Solani encountered when, when they played together in Anaheim, right? Um, everyone else on the list, though, is like Tarasenko, Spezza, Marner, you know, and, and, and of that group, like Pedersen's at the top end of the points per game in his first three seasons. So, you know. 
I looked then and tried to find guys who really fell off in their third year. And here's sort of the partial list of guys that I came up with. And one is qualified because it was really his fourth year where he ran into serious struggles. I'll start with him. That's Patrick Lyoning. What's your reaction to that? Uh, interesting. Different type of player, right? Um, you know, finisher more so than a playmaker. But yes, yeah, it, it's an interesting comparison. No, no question about it. Just in terms of where he is this year, especially. The big difference for, well, because this year he's only played 15 games because he's had some injury issues, but he's yep. back at 12 points in 15 games. Yeah, no, that's and, that was my point, is that he, yeah. he has brought it back to a point this year. Yeah, and, and you know, his season, really it was last year, which is fourth season, that he dipped significantly in production, and he went to uh, 24 points in 46 games across two teams. And, I mean, that's still a better points per game rate than Pedersen, but you know, that's a guy who looked poised for superstardom and just kind of fizzled out. And in Lyonnais case, I think it's because he couldn't round out his game. And that's sort of the other the other thing that's really different is like Lyonnais was always kind of a one trick pony. Pedersen was a two way driver in, in, in most of those first three seasons. So it's not a perfect comp. Here's my here's my other comp for you. Simone Gagne. Remember Simone Gagne? Yeah. So Simone Gagne's third year, he was 22. He similarly spent one post-draft year outside the NHL. But in that third season that he had, he was like on the 20 or yeah, 2002 uh, Salt Lake City Olympic team. Remember, he was like the fastest guy in the league. He'd had that playoff success, 40 goal guy, 80 point guy. And then the next year he comes back and he plays a full season for Philadelphia and it's uh, 45 points. Wasn't that Just, a contract year as well? Yeah, it might have been his contract year. That's right. And he has 45 points in 82 games. So, again, over 0.5, but it's like a guy who was an elite point producer for three years all of a sudden lays an absolute egg in his third season. Uh, or I guess it was his fourth season. Excuse me. And so, sorry. And I said third and fourth with Lyonnais. It was fourth and fifth. His fifth season, Lyonnais really struggled. So, uh, Gagne, his fourth season sort of falls off a cliff. Next two years, he averages 79 points. Like he was, he, he bounced back from that and continued to be, you know, a top line caliber goal scorer for three, four seasons into his late twenties, at which point he, you know, sort of settled into a career as a middle six guy, like a 40 point guy for a, for a little bit longer and then had a journeyman stage of his career. So Simone Gagne is another comp and notable there. I like the Gagne comp the best to be clear with you because it was like people were like this guy is next he was on the canadian olympic team and then he just had one year where out of nowhere 40 45 points and then he returned to being this high 70s 80 point guy again for a few years because again good players don't just fizzle out and then the last comp that i kind of like and this one's a little bit different but chris drury um chris drury in his Colorado years, his season in Colorado, I think it was his third or fourth season, but he was a guy who was, yeah, no, it would have had to be his fourth season. This was a guy who came into the league and he's playing a depth role on one of the absolute best teams in the league. And, you know, as a rookie, he's 44 points in 79 games, sort of playing a third line role. Um, uh, wins the Calder Trophy, right? So there's a, a good analogy there. And then he goes 67 points in 82, 65 points in 71 as a 23 and a 24-year-old player. So he was older than Pedersen is. And then in his fourth year, inexplicably, still plays 82 games, 46 points. Just like regresses for almost no reason from being a guy in the high 60s to being a guy in the 40s. And of course, what happens? He gets traded. <laughs> he gets traded that offseason to Calgary. So, you know, Drury is another one who sort of stands out. And again, Drury has that one offseason. His next four seasons are, you know, 53-53, 67-69, sort of peaks with the Buffalo Sabres as, uh, as like the key to one of the most exciting teams the last 20 years. Um, remains a great player. Like he has one offseason. He didn't get back under 50 points again until he was 33. And so, you know, again, what Pedersen has done to this point in his career and then falling off 
we've seen it happen. Um, I guess like Lion A is not the perfect comp. Drury and Gagne are decent comps. When when it's happened though, they these guys bounce back because they're really good at hockey. They're really good at hockey. And and I'm not really sure what's going on with Pedersen, but the more I look at it, like almost across the board, like there is stuff going on, right? He's not drawing penalties like he used to. He's not as involved. He doesn't pass the eye test the way he used to. But a lot of what's going on too is just unsustainable luck. And I, I know people are going to hate hearing me say that. I know you're going to hate hearing me say that. But like if you I, look I, at the I big- want you to give me something to, to hang on to here. Well, if you look at the biggest difference, though, in Pedersen's game, right, it's like, yeah, you know, his shot attempt rates a little down, his shot rates a little down, his individual expected goals is a little down, but it's down from like his 2019-20 highs or his 2020-21 performance, but most of it's up from his rookie year performance, which doesn't really match our impression, I don't think, which was that his rookie year, he was electric and this is completely different. Um, you know, most of his underlying profile is still better than it was in his rookie year. It's just not quite as high as it was during his sophomore bump. The biggest changes, Farhan, are like if you go look at on ice shooting percentage, right? Pedersen was this guy who drove the percentages in a sustainable way um, or or seemed to in his first three years. So his on ice shooting percentages are like, you know, 10 percent, 11 percent, 14 percent, five, five percent this year. So the Canucks are basically scoring on like, you know, less than half as many, uh, less than half of the number of shots on goal as they used to with Pedersen on the ice. His personal shooting percentage, exact same thing. Um, I think there's more going on, obviously, because if you're a player who sustainably drives shooting percentage, you're doing like an ineffable something that that allows you to turn goaltender save percentage back. Um, so clearly there's more going on i'm not going to say it's purely luck but a lot of this seems to be percentage driven and when a guy is struggling for percentage driven reasons just like when a team is winning behind you know ungodly goaltending every like when a team is winning in front of in front of all ungodly goaltending everything looks hunky dory always you know and fans are like oh they're great they found a new level but it's like we're we're tricked our eye test gets tricked by random distribution when a guy is getting zero bounces when at no point do you get the release from where their work results in you know a spin pass out front of the net to Bo Horvat that then goes in the net and the Canucks tie the game if at no point you get the emotional release of like yeah great play um everything looks like shit and and as as much as I do think there are material issues that Pedersen is working through specifically that he's just not as active in terms of dictating play, uh, a lot of this, a lot of this is unsustainable bounces, like a well, lot of it. But in fact, the lines for share. me, for me, it's all of it. And you're right on the bounces, you know, and just even last night, having seven shot attempts that go wide, that's not going to regularly happen. Or like, I, I just don't see that as something that's going to happen for his career. But you talked about driving play and being active. And that's where I see st- you know, when you when you tell me the numbers are similar to what they were in year one, it's the driving play, it's the drawing penalties, and it's the active person that we saw in year one. I like I'm not seeing that guy no, at I, all. Like there's games where you just don't notice him. It's not that there's no payoff. It's did he even play? Well, and, I know. Like, and, I'm and telling you, like last night wasn't one of those games. It wasn't. But there there have been games like that. So for uh, me, especially, look, I, I think especially I over the think, course of this. Can I do not think streak. this player is going to be a 40-point player for his career. There's going to be some bounce back here. But what we're seeing now leads you to believe or leads you to question what the high end is going to be. Because when you're at a certain stage in your career, you know, and you're blowing the doors off people in years one and two and maybe even year three, and people think, wow, imagine when this guy actually figures it out. What's that going to look like? And now we're seeing this, and now it, it affects your perception of what the ceiling is eventually going to be. You know, I've used the comparison that, okay, he's never going to be McDavid where he's the best player in the league, but, you know, he could be an Austin Matthews-level impact guy. See, I disagree with that. I think you are massively underrating Austin Matthews. Austin Matthews is the best goal scorer of the next generation. Okay, so... He's... he's Austin Matthews is... Austin Matthews is Ovi. Okay, so, so let me say this. I thought... When, from what I saw in Pedersen's first two years, I thought he was eventually going to be a top five player in the National Hockey League. 
Now I see a player who might be a top 15 player. And now yeah. that's still pretty good for many. But I'm just telling you that the ceiling of, wow, we are so lucky to watch this guy play every night. He's going to be the best Canuck ever. He's going to be better than Henrik Sedin, right? Like, you know, in the first couple of years, what we saw led you to believe that was the ceiling. So forget the Matthews thing, but top five player in the league, best Canuck ever, right? Over at, you know, like maybe not. <laughs> well, I don't know. I mean, I, that might have been unrealistic. Like, yeah, but why for, should it have been? Who had those kinds of numbers coming out of the gate? I mean, you know, Pavel was close. The twins weren't even close. No, that early in their career, but the twins right? are so unique, man. The twins I, are. I, I know they are, but but like beats. I don't want to get I don't want to get bogged down to that. I like I just for me I when I when I saw the first two years in my mind best Canuck ever, top five player in the league, a player that well, other fan bases buy tickets to see, and now I'm seeing a guy that'll be you know top fifteen in the league that he can bounce back to that. I and mean, that's top fifteen is great. Sure, but it's not top five. No, I know, but top, I mean, you know, it's possible that the expectations put on him were um, were unfair, and we'll, we'll revisit Maybe, that. but that's, but again, that's expectations put on himself by himself. By himself. He earned it. He right? earned so that. Like, no, nobody, nobody, you know, when we were talking about, you know, the Gretzky stuff, and not that anybody ever thought he was going to be Gretzky, but you know where I'm going with that, right? Just that there was that level of creativity to his game, that yeah. level of, you know, alien to his game, and... Don't see it. Don't see it. So no, can no. he completely round out his game, change the bounces a little bit, right? So he this this string of luck is unsustainable and get to a point where we feel good about his game? Sure. But will he be that guy that is that active, that creative, that dynamic again, right? And, well, and again, I don't think he will be. be like I don't this. think he's going to be Gretzky level creative. Like, again, I mean, to, I, th I think the... You know, he's never going to I don't know that he's going to be a top five player in the NHL. I think he's got a chance, though, to be every bit the player that he was previously and better as he as he goes through it. Um, I do think there's clearly something going on in terms of his confidence, like something going on between the ears. I do think he's going through, you know, what what a lot of young men do as they figure out who they are and, and sort of maybe try things on that aren't for them. Uh, sure. Before coming back to to sort of their true essence and and you know approaching that with a greater sense of um, you know self confidence, I do think there's some some of that going on. I do think you know the the social stuff, the the new contract, uh, the circumstances around the team. You know, I, I think the commentary in the summer about wanting to play for a winning team, right? And then and then coming in with the big contract, having missed. A bunch of camp and struggling and being like, oh wait, I'm the reason. Like that's I need it, to be right the reason. There, that's, but that's it. That's a tough moment to realize and then work through. Yeah, it is because everything and, is the house's money those first two years, right? Like everything is great. Now there's expectation and it changes. Yeah. And he's entitled to have some problems dealing with that. Like I'm not down on him for that. Pointing out that there's problem does not mean. We, we we've completely lost faith. Like it's it's okay to be critical. It's no, okay. I'm, well, to, I'm not I'm not trying to not to be critical. I'm yeah. just trying to see it clearly, right? Well, like, yeah. I'm looking what, through the what, data, I can't point to a thing. You know, I can't point to a massive drop off in in some of those underlying categories. Like the biggest drop off for me is percentages and drawn penalties. And it's like, yeah, the drawn penalties is a big shining light indicator that he's not as active. That he's not dictating the same way, that he's not inside opponents the same way, and that's clear just to watch the games. Um, but there's also this, you know, percentage drop off from league best finisher finisher level to league worst finisher level that I don't think is real. Yeah, and Canuck fans they want to get like, you know, we saw Pedersen in that second season, and we thought, wow, what's it going to be? I think right now Canuck fans would get be happy to just get back to the second season if there was no improvement off that. Do you well, know sure. what I mean? Like, he, but that, but, but, that's but, but, what, something we've seen now, and that's what people want to get back to. Farhan, he was one of the most valuable players in the league in that second season. Like, if For he sure. gets to that level consistently, he's a top 10 player in this league. And, uh, and, and I, like I said, I believe we're going to see an improvement. Let's see what level of improvement we're going to see and when that kicks in. Well, there's no, again, there's no historical comparable that's from the, the last 35 part. years. Like, that's going back to, well, I guess it's 30 years. Going back to 1995. Like, I, I didn't want to include guys from before 
the butterfly goaltending era, really, right? <laughs> like, um, yeah, that's true. But there is no historical comp for a guy being as good as Pedersen was and then falling off and completely fizzling out. Like, at the very least, they settle into a lengthy career as a top of the lineup player. And then there's Patrick Lyonnais, and I'm not sure he's a perfect comp, but he's one to watch. And even he's seemed to bounce back, but I do think his stock is still low. Um, you know, he's not the next Brett Hall, I don't think, the way we kind of thought he was when he first entered the league. And so, you know, that's sort of where we're at here. Um, I'm curious to see what comes next, but I do think we're going to see more production from him over the second half than we saw in the first. But can and be worse. that's an essential thing for the Canucks. I, I agree with you. And, you know, let's hope that in two years from now, we're going to see. Remember when? Remember, like, at the end of 2021, how bad it was uh, right after he signed that first contract? Uh, so that'll be good if we can have that discussion and we can rewind to this pod at that point. Hey, we're going to take one more break. When we come back, I want to get into just kind of management, where things are going there and what their thoughts are on what we're seeing in these last two games. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So, Drancer, put your Jim Rutherford hat on and take me through your mindset because I think this stretch of games was really going to be your acid test. We never thought Rutherford was going to be stupid when it comes to decision-making at the deadline or just, you know, be completely unrealistic with what expectations for this particular team could be. But, it, you know, he still wants young players added to the lineup and, and is smart enough to understand um, don't get ahead of yourself. You want sustained success, not instant gratification. But what will, you know, t- two losses here against very good teams and over the course of the, you know, the nine game run, if they wind up finishing, you know, with eight points, you know, or seven points over the nine game run, like what happens at that point when you're Jim Rutherford? Yeah. I mean, really interesting, obviously, from the perspective of, you know, they've been very deliberate, the Canucks have, I think, in terms of minding their P's and Q's in terms of committing to a direction one way or another, right? And I thought Derek Clancy's commentary to the athletic uh, interview we ran yesterday, right? Uh, interview ends with him saying he'll come in at some point with a direction of how it's going to go and we'll follow that direction, right? He also said, you know, um, there's still some evaluation on how we look as a team, right? But everything's kind of new. It's too early to make any conclusions on where we are, right? Um, I don't think they quite know how much to double down on this current roster, right? But I, but I think everything they've said hints at skepticism that this team is good enough, right? Uh, that's my read on it anyway. I think there's been both like they've certainly they've certainly talked about liking some of the talent up front and on the back end and you know um liking parts of the roster but with the exception of Thatcher Demko right with the goaltender I don't think they've really given a full-throated endorsement like this is the strength of our team and so you know I do think they'll watch I do think they'll take stock of the next month I think if you're looking at this with a fresh set of eyes the temptation to try and stay the course and just tweak this roster has to be really strong, not just because of how they've played, but because of how hard it is to undo. Like this team's not easy to disassemble, right? Um, so the temptation to kind of just do stay the course a little bit and try and make the playoffs and try and do the Jim Benning low bar thing, I think that has to be strong. But I think this team needs bold moves. And, and I ultimately think, you know, the lure of winning a third Stanley Cup in a third different market or a fourth Stanley Cup in a third different market for Rutherford. Like that's those are historic stakes. Historic. And I I suspect that if the goal is that, and I do believe that it will be, just based on Rutherford's track record and 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 trademark aggressiveness, right? I do think you're going to see 
this team probably give itself a pretty significant rethink in in an ultimate um you know as an ultimate answer but how they get to there how they get there and and if they're there yet i don't think so or at least they're not willing to play that card or show that card yet um they're playing it close to the vest they're saying that they're going to give this team time i think they're still evaluating I think you have to say that as an incoming general manager too, especially with the way that this team has played since the coaching change. You kind of you kind of have to let them feel like they've earned the right to take this as far as they can. And then I think we're going to see this team not punt on this year, but I think accept that they need to take a step back if they're going to take a step or two steps forward. And um good Good. That's what this organization needs. You did the Q&A with Derek Clancy. Uh, was it yesterday or the day before, I believe? And you yeah. know, the one thing that jumped out is he says, we're going to change how we do things. Um, I mean, a lot of things stood out to me. I thought the commentary on reevaluating the scouting staff, um, you know, on, on changing the emphasis of what the Canucks are looking for in terms of player recruitment, player evaluation process. I thought that was fascinating. At every level, meant- not, just, not just the draft, but across the board. Right across the board, yeah, and he also name checked support staff. Um, you know, I think since the since the Rutherford hire, but especially since the club um, terminated uh, a second round of executives, right in 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 Chris Gear and Jonathan Wall, I think there's been a lot of uh, unsettled folks around the organization waiting to see exactly what this new Rutherfordian uh, front office is going to look like and what they're going to do. I think the amateur scouting uh, department. Um, and, you know, and some of the staffers around the team have been particularly um, on uh, top of mind for people within the industry, both locally and, and around the league, um, you know, in terms of, you know, everything from medical staff to, um, you know, talent evaluators, the amateur side, uh, the amateur scouting staff in Vancouver has gone through a ton of change, right? Obviously, having lost Judd Brackett and then. Palango and Chris McDonald, um, you know, they hired and fired additional people. Um, it's sort of now an interesting collection of like the old guard Canucks staff, uh, some remaining or lingering Judd Brackett hires, some Weissbrod guys. Like it's a really interesting mix at the moment. Jim Benning's son, um, you know, and and I do think we're going to see seismic changes there. I think Clancy's been kicking the tires on that. I don't think he was hiding it, reading between the lines, but also talking to people within the industry. I think he's been soliciting opinion. I think he's been doing his homework. Um, so, you know, that's sort of those are the those are a couple of the areas where I'm expecting significant changes. And then and then, you know, on the GM front, um, I sort of heard and, and said it this week on on 650, but I'd heard the name Sean Burke as sort of another uh, candidate. I, I I couldn't confirm it, but that was like chatter within the industry. Um, you know, that's the that's sort of an, another name. I don't know that there was a lot to the Verbe- to Ver- Pat Verbeek's name surfacing. So the Canucks are clearly holding their GM search close to the vest. I do think they've interviewed, um, you know, some some more non traditional candidates. Um, you know, to to have a more diverse front office for for an AGM's role. Uh, I know Darren Dreger uh, reported that two a little bit or said that you know he expected some interviews to to occur with some for example some women candidates for for the assistant general manager role or for a assistant general manager role um that matches what i'm hearing i think i think some of those interviews have occurred um but for the most part you know rutherford has gone about his business pretty quietly don't you think like there's not a lot of leaks out here uh it's really been quite quiet around the canucks as they go through this search uh, as they go to uh, build out their front office. Um, and, you know, I'm still expecting an analytics hire and or promotion here at some point. I do think Rutherford's going to have a director or senior director level analytics hire. Um, you know, I, I'd expect him to have a collection of directors, uh, director of player personnel, um, you know, a director of amateur scouting they already have in in Todd Harvey. Um, you know, a director of pro scouting, um, you know, I, I can't think of if they have that right now, right? Like, I don't think they do have a director of pro scouting, director of player yeah, personality almost always had. So, you know, I would I would expect some really like lower level hires, but I also would expect AGM, AGM, two AGMs and a GM at some point, you know, probably 
if not before the end of the month, then sh- then in early February. And that's going to be really interesting because I- I'm, you know, I think that the, I, th- I think that this front office could use um, a sort of more robust build out. And, and last thing I want to say about the Clancy interview, I was really impressed with his communication style, right? Uh, and I don't know if it came through, but he's got a little bit of a Newfoundland accent um, in his, uh, in his delivery, but I thought yeah, we he didn't was... get that in the print version. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and I hope and I hope that it came across in the print interview just how no nonsense he is in his overall delivery, right? Like I was really impressed by the clarity of his communication. I, I just, you know, he 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 said it in the interview. He said, you know, there's not a lot of gray with me. And then he proceeded to put on a clinic of there not being a lot of gray with him over the course of an interview, uh, which I hope people felt gave them some uh you know meaningful glimpse into his philosophy um but but you know he was a really no nonsense communicator i think i think he got some pretty loaded points across in a in a in a compelling way and uh it's going to be interesting to see who joins him in this Canucks front office perfect hey before we go got to get your picks for the weekend bud yeah well i want to i want to debate these picks with you okay if yeah if there's something to debate sure you you tell me you tell me if i'm off my rocker okay um i believe firmly in the Bengals. I know that the Bengals have like a rocky offensive line and we all saw uh what's the name of that Vegas lineman who had that epic fourth quarter? Uh defensive lineman. Oh shoot. Um I I've lost it. I know who you're talking about, but Come uh, on. Come on, we got to get we got to get uh he was so good. He was so good. Crosby? Yeah. It was Crosby. Dude, that guy's amazing. But um I'm not buying. I'm I'm like a big Raiders stan. I love Renfro. I love Josh Jacobs. But I, I'm I'm not buying that they can hang with this Bengals offense. Bengals are going to win. I agree. Yeah, I've got the um, Bengals. Uh, Bills are going to win in an ugly. Like it's not going to be as low scoring as like Bill Simmons is hoping for. <laughs> but the Bills are going to beat the Patriots. They are, and I think it will be low scoring. Yeah, it's going to be like. Uh, but but I think I I bet you the Bills get to like twenty. It'll, like, it'll, I don't, it'll be the under. I think the over-under on that game is like 43 and a half, and I think it's under. Uh, it, it's moved. It's 44. Okay. I know because I'm betting it. <laughs> but the uh, but I think the Bills will get to 20 points. Like, I think I think the Bills outclass yeah, the Patriots it, it, it's pretty a, significantly. It's a, it's a 20 to 10 type game. How many times do you think Mac Jones throws? Oh, boy. Well, he'll <laughs> have to throw a lot in the end because he'll be behind like it's right, not. That's true. It, it's how much they want him to throw versus how much he'll actually throw. If you had, if you had Belichick... You know, in his perfect world, he would throw four under, times. No, like realistically, like four. you're not going to get a stupid wind game four right? times. Like, <laughs> no, no, no. I, I think in in his world, if he were to keep his attempts to under sixteen, he'd be happy. Right? Yeah, yeah. But I have like uh, he's going to have like a more. I have like an under uh, parlay that has uh, Stevenson under thirty nine point five rushing yards, like. Mac Jones under 205 throwing yards. Like I've thrown all the indicators of an under into the into the mix. Um, anyway, I'm looking forward to that one. I think the Bills have a shot at in the AFC. I think they're the biggest threat to the Chiefs. Well, the Titans, I think, when Henry gets back, will be legit. No, come on. The Titans are such pretenders. Anyway, um, I think the Bucks are going to win by 30. Uh, I think they're going to win handily. Uh, and I, think cover. Win I, I won't. 30. I won't go thirty. I do think the Eagles have a chance to slow the game down a bit, but they can't put up enough points. Like the worst case for Tampa, the worst case for Tampa is twenty-four points. That is the low. You know, that's the floor. Oh yeah. And 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 I don't know. And I th- like to me, that's the Eagles' ceiling. So I I don't see that happening. Like I see a you know whatever. I see a thirty. A 31-14 game for the for the Bucks. The the Eagles are particularly vulnerable to how Tom Brady like they are the worst like Tom Brady's the worst possible matchup for them. Yeah, they played him close earlier. I think it was 28-22, but the Eagles, you know, like I said, they'll try to take the air out of the football and I just don't think you can do that because it's not going to take long for Tom to score whenever he needs to even without a couple of key offensive weapons. I like the Niners over the Cowboys. Me too. Do you? Yeah, I've picked the Niners. Yeah, yeah, I think the Cowboys are fraudulent offensively and defensively. Wow, I don't think they're fraudulent. This team relies on turnovers and red zone. That's not a sustainable formula in the playoffs. You have to get teams off the field. And, like, you know, can 
are they going to be able to hold the Niners to three at times? They will. I'm not convinced in their ability to hold up against San Francisco's run game. Um, I think Dak is too inconsistent. Um, you know, he's got injuries in the receiving core. Cooper's been ordinary. You know, if they don't turn the ball over, I, I don't I don't see I don't see the Cowboys winning this game. I don't see the Cowboys keeping it within a touchdown if San Francisco doesn't turn the ball over. Are you are you not worried though that Micah Parsons is the perfect answer to Debo? Um, it depends. Like I think, look, I think Micah Parsons is a stud, and I think he's the rookie of the year, regardless of what side of the ball he plays on. Yeah. However, the way Dan Quinn deploys him, it becomes a guessing game. Yeah. Right. And I think while Jimmy G is not a great passer, he can audible enough to take advantage of where Micah Parsons lines up from time to time, because that's how that you know that offense is heavily reliant on change at the line of scrimmage. So uh, look, I, I'm, I'm not a, saying. I'm a, I'm not going to say that he time. can coach. I'm not going to say that Kyle Shanahan's going to outcoach Dan Quinn, or but I, like I do think that they're going to be able to to mute his impact a little bit. Yeah, and um, yeah, like I, I think San Francisco is going to win. And I'm not a big Niner guy, but I I really think, and Pierre LeBron hates me for this. I think this level, this Cowboy team is fraudulent. Yeah, I disagree with you on this Cowboys team being fraudulent, but it's me. It's me, the biggest Jimmy G defender you'll ever meet. Logging on, I believe that. I believe in Jimmy G, and I actually think that the Niners have a real shot. I think they're the worst matchup for Green Bay in the NFC. Um, I think I think San Francisco wins this round and are done. Yeah, I, I see. I disagree. I think they can go to Lambeau and and be a real problem. Um, but the the reason that I'm picking against Dallas for me, I I just I don't want to, this podcast to end with anyone assuming that I agree with you that the Cowboys are fraudulent. I think the Cowboys are one of the best teams in football. I, I think they would be my pick to win the NFC, except for the fact that Ezekiel Elliott's foot speed has looked way off the last four weeks, and Dak Prescott hasn't been good since the calf injury. Like, he just, I don't trust him he at all right no, now. You're, you're right. He's And that's my point, is that he's been inconsistent. I think he'll continue to be inconsistent. He can't lean on Zeke. Pollard's, you know, good changeup. In fact, you could make the case Pollard's better than Zeke now. But Pollard is them, better than Zeke, but, but I, don't want him hand, I don't want him touching the ball 30 times a game, or he'll be like Eli Mitchell. And it'll fall apart. Yeah. So, so for me, I, I think I think the Niners are a really bad matchup for the Cowboys, and you know they're going to be Agreed. able to keep the ball away from Dak a lot. Dak's going to press when he gets the ball, and you're yeah, going to see the worst mix. of Dak. Yeah, I just I, I just don't think Dak is who he like. I don't think Dak is himself right now because of the injury. I think he's one of those guys who's going to go under the knife like two days after the season ends, and so uh, that's why I'm picking against the Cowboys. But I think they're, I think they should be if they were healthy. The class of the NFC. Um, the Chiefs will win by 30. The, the Chiefs will win by 30 in the first half. Yeah, there's no path to competitiveness for the Steelers in this game, let alone winning. No, I'm, um, I'm not as convinced I that the... I'm not convinced that the Chiefs will win by 30 because I don't think most of their starters will play most of the second half. Yeah, fair. Like, I'd be worried about taking the points in this game. Um... You know, I, I've considered taking the points for the first half. <laughs> I'd I I take the, the points. I'd take I, the points. Because once know, they get the lead and now Ben's got to throw the ball down the field, they, like, forget about I, I've it. Got, forget I've, got about the points. It. I've got the points for both the Bucks and the Chiefs um, in a tease so that I get a good return. But, uh, but yeah, I think the Chiefs-Steelers is a huge, huge mismatch. Cardinals um, and Rams is as interesting to me as the Cowboys and Niners. Like, this is... Yeah, me too. I'm, I'm I'm slowly listen. The Rams are my preseason pick to go to the Super Bowl out of the NFC, but you know their defense. You know some teams are the, the speaking of fraudulent. The Rams. Well, you you're you listen. You're, I'm not I'm not debating that now because when I look at it, especially defensively, you know you know some groups are the the sum is greater than the whole of its parts. The Rams are the opposite of that. The whole of the parts are way better than the sum. Right. Yeah. Like they are completely overrated on the defensive side of the ball, including against the run. And that just shouldn't happen against that personnel. Like I have not seen quality defense on back to back weeks from the Rams this year, even when they had winning streaks. Um, yeah. The Cardinals, I think the way they match up with Kyler Murray, I think is going to give him problems, even though he doesn't have DeAndre Hopkins. I think his ability to make some things happen with his legs is going to create some problems. Um, I, I, I don't know why, because the Cardinals haven't been great at the end of the year. Uh, but no, I, like I think Matthew Stafford Cardinals at some point really is gonna, bad. Like the, both, the, both of these teams are trending in the wrong direction. Ram, Stafford's going to put up two more turnovers, and that's going to be the difference. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think uh, 
I, I just think the Rams are down too many weapons. We, we, like, we, we, we've agreed on all six of these games, which means like you and Harm could have been doing this fan cast. That's true. Um, yeah, no, I've got I, I, I've got Cardinals. I've got Cardinals on the money line and the over as a tease. I, I, I believe firmly in the Cardinals. Um, so, yeah, we went six for six in a group. Wow. Yeah, that can't be good. <laughs> yeah, we might go 0 for six now. Now I'm now I'm put your money on all no, the, the Chiefs are going to win. But we, other than that, we could go 0 for we could go one for five, <laughs> one for five. Yeah, two for four. Um, I'll be I'll be heartbroken if Joe Burrow loses. Let me tell you that much. Oh, he's a lot. He's not losing. He's a lot of fun to watch. He is he's not losing. Yeah, I I got to run, man. But uh, but good episode. Nice, lots of fun. Lots of Simone Gagne talk for for the VIPs. And uh, let's uh, let's chat Monday. Let's chat Monday and. Uh, We'll see how we did over the weekend with our picks and see how the Canucks did against some pretty stiff comp. Monday, Wednesday, next week. Check out Ian Mendez and Down Goes Brown on the Athletic Hockey Show every Thursday at The Athletic. Meanwhile, Max Boltman and Corey Pronman have the Prospect Series on The Athletic Hockey Show Friday. Uh, Fridays at The Athletic, wherever you download your podcast. As for us, we thank you for listening to the VanCast. Please follow us on your favorite podcast platform. Don't forget to leave a rating and a review. And right now you can get annual subscriptions to The Athletic for just $3.99 a month when you visit theathletic.com slash the VanCast slash NFL playoff previews. VanCast returns Monday and Wednesday next week. Have a good weekend, buddy.